The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. The scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. If you're looking in the Bible underneath your chair, it's on page 843. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they had brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Apatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Well, as you just heard this morning, we are continuing our series, our study through the Gospel of Mark this morning. Um, And what we're going to do is turn our attention to these handful of verses here at the end of Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. And as we do so, what we're going to find is that Mark is going to turn our attention to the power of King Jesus and his power specifically to restore all things. And so we're going to hit pause, we're going to pray, we're going to ask for the Holy Spirit to move through the preaching of his word, and then we will turn our attention to our study of these verses. So why don't you guys join me in prayer um, as we pray for these things. Lord God, you are the creator. You are our creator. And as our creator, you have the right to do with us as you please. My prayer this morning is that you would delight to work through the preaching of your word and articulate to us the power of Jesus, who is the king And his power that he has to restore sinners back into a place where they have a right relationship with God. Holy Spirit, we are desperate for you to move. We need you to energize the preaching of the word. We need you to make our spiritually deaf ears to hear. We need you to loosen our spiritually mute tongues that just are far from you and at times do not delight to articulate the things of Christ. So what we need is a move of the power of Christ this morning. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, you would delight to do this through me. Father, fill, come, work, save. It's in your powerful name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. 
as a kid who grew up before the age of cable television, uh, this experience produced some very unique memories for me. And one of those memories was being able to tune in to the PBS station, good old turning in the antenna and, and turning into the local PBS station and watching a television show called This Old House. And so if you watched This Old House on PBS way back in the day, week in and week out, what you would do is you would watch a man decked out in flannel, armed with beard, a man named Bob Vila, and he would come on the show, and what he would do is take 30 minutes over several weeks, and he would breathe life into some homeowner's 19th century Victorian home. And as a little boy, I really enjoyed the aspect of this show, watching something old, something that's been worn out, be restored into something new. And in a way, you could say really the entire purpose of this old house revolved around that premise. The, the whole purpose was for somebody to come along and exercise their power in order to restore something that time had destroyed, to restore it back into what it was created to be. And it's as we turn our attention into Mark chapter 7, here at the very end, these verses 31 through 37, we find the exact same idea on display as Jesus heals a deaf man from the Decapolis. Once again, driving at his question of who is Jesus, Mark is going to put before us the power of the king. If you remember like a bulldog that just lays hold of something with like a grip and just bites onto something and won't let go, Mark is doing this with that singular question of who is Jesus. We've said this over and over and over again. The entire front half of Mark's gospel is in essence devoted to the question, who is Jesus? And as you start in chapter 1 and you work yourself all the way up to where we are this morning over and over again, it's just one piece of evidence after another as Mark rolls out before us. If you want to know who that man from Galilee was, that man from Nazareth was, you need to look at these things that I'm just constantly rolling out before you. This is who Jesus is. He is the King. He's the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He's the one who's ushered in the kingdom of God. He's the one who forgives sin. He's the one who heals with authority, teaches with authority, casts out demons with authority. He's the one with power over disease. He's the one with power over death. He's the one with the power over Satan and his dark forces. And over and again, Mark is just rolling these things out. And as we find ourselves on the cusp of Peter's great confession at the end of Mark chapter 8, where he finally articulates in Mark's gospel, the first person to sort of, quote, get it of the disciples, takes them eight chapters to get it, comes to the point where he says, Jesus, you are the Christ. Christ is the word for king. He says, you're the king. You're the one who came in order to redeem people, 
to restore them back into a right relationship with God. We find ourselves here at the end of Mark chapter 7 where concerning this question of who is Jesus, Mark is like, you've got to just know one other thing. You've got to know some other truth as well. That King Jesus isn't just some Galilean man. He's not just some Nazarene carpenter. He is the king. And most importantly, what he's going to show us this morning is that King Jesus has power to restore what sin has destroyed. So not only does he have power over Satan's dark kingdom, power over disease, power over death, this is just one more thing, one more facet of this question of who is Jesus. And he wants you to know that King Jesus is the one who has power to restore what sin has destroyed. You see, sin is an equal opportunity destroyer. It's destroying effects. They reach far. They reach wide. Sin ruins. Sin breaks down. Sin disrupts. Sin distorts. Sin is the reason there's suffering in this world, and there's pain in this world, and there's death in this world. And because this is true, that sin and its destroying effects reach far and wide, it explains why the universal ache of humanity is for someone who can actually step into our experience of death and decay in order to reverse the effects of sin. Someone who can exercise sovereign power over sin's curse in order to restore the way things are back to the way they were created to be. And it's this very ache of the soul that Mark speaks to this morning as he turns our attention to the region of the Decapolis and the interaction of Jesus with the man who is deaf and mute. And so starting off in verse 31, you can look in your own copy of Scripture. The first truth we see is that Jesus restores what sin destroys. Jesus restores what sin destroys. Look in your copy of Scripture. Mark begins writing there in verse 31. Then he, that is Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon. So if you remember last week, that was the geographic location Jesus was in. In the region of Tyre and Sidon, about 20 miles or so northwestish of the Sea of Galilee. And so now Mark tells us that done in that area, Jesus is going to loop himself back down to the Sea of Galilee, more specifically on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee in an area known as the Decapolis. Mark continues writing, he says, And they, the people in this area of the Decapolis, brought to him a man who was deaf, a man who had a speech impediment, and they begin to do something. They begin to beg Jesus to come and lay his hands on the man. Now, when you think about the word Decapolis, it's a word that means ten cities. So for that whole region, there was ten cities in that area. So it became known as the Decapolis. But if you notice the word Decapolis, it's a word that hardly gets a mention in the New Testament. 
Specifically, when you look at the gospel accounts of Jesus, that word decapolis, the region there where Jesus goes into, it only shows up three times. And in Mark's gospel, specifically the last time this region, the Decapolis, was mentioned was after Jesus heals the Gerasene demoniac back in chapter 5. And so if you remember, Jesus was in a boat, he comes to the shore, he gets out of the boat, and what he meets is that man who's been living in the tombs who is possessed by an unclean spirit. Jesus heals this man by exercising his kingly, sovereign power over the man, restores that man back to the way he was created to be, and then what he does is he looks at the man and says, you need to go start telling people about the good things that the Lord has done for you. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 20, we see he does exactly this very thing. Mark tells us that the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. So by the time that you go through the rest of chapter 5, chapter 6, and you land at the back part of Mark chapter 7, what you find is this, that the people in the Decapolis know a little bit of something about the power of King Jesus. Because the former garrison demoniac has been doing his job of proclaiming the glories of what Christ has done for him. The idea is that the folks living in the Decapolis have an inkling of what the power of King Jesus can accomplish. If, if the power of Jesus can heal a man possessed by a demon, then surely he can handle this need. The idea is that the garrison former demoniac was there saying, listen man, you don't know who I was before you guys met me. I mean, this is who I was. I was down. I was out. I was living in the tombs. I was possessed by a demon. I was totally living in a state that I was not created by God to be. And my whole life was an example of what Satan's dark kingdom does to the heart and mind and soul of a man. But then King Jesus showed up in my life. King Jesus restored me. King Jesus saved me. He brought me back to the place that I was meant to be in relationship with the Father as having having interacted with the king, and he's just telling people and telling people and telling people. The people are going, man, if King Jesus has this power, if only he would just show up in our region. Like, only if he would just come, and that day he comes, man, I know exactly what I'm going to do when he shows up. And this is what we see going on here at the end of Mark chapter 7. Jesus shows up in their world, comes rolling into their region. And so when he sets foot into the region of the Decapolis, the people are like, man, the time is now. We're going to do something about this. And Mark tells us what they do is they bring to Jesus a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they beg and beg and beg and beg Jesus. Would you just please go and lay a hand on this man and touch him? Now, this isn't the first time in Mark's gospel that we see Jesus healing somebody. I mean, over and over again, we see Jesus, who we have come to learn. He is the compassionate shepherd. Jesus has been healing people left and right in this gospel. He's been commanding unclean spirits to depart with just a word, and the thing is, they do. We've seen him heal people with a word Your son is healed. And they're healed. We see Jesus at times with just a simple touch just come up and heal somebody. 
But notice that Jesus' response to the begging and pleading of this man's friends is just totally out of step with the simplicity of all the previous healings that we see in Mark's gospel. Look at what Mark says there in verse 33. Jesus has received requests like this before. Please, this man needs to be healed. Would you just sort of touch him and just do what you've done before might just be the implication there. But Jesus, instead of just reaching out and just simply just laying a simple touch on him or just saying, yeah, man, you're no longer deaf and you're no longer mute, go on your way, he does something just totally out of step with the typical simplicity that he uses in healing. Verse 33, Mark tells us that Jesus, first off, takes the man aside from the crowd and he moves him over sort of into like a private little huddle. Then Jesus reaches out his hands and puts his fingers into the man's ears. Then Jesus hawks some spit onto his hand and reaches out and then touches the man's tongue. And then he looks up to heaven, gives this deep sort of like groaning from the soul kind of sigh. And then he issues the command, be opened. And so you read that. Mark isn't just giving us extraneous detail because he's got nothing better to do. He's teaching us something here. And the question we have to ask is, why does Jesus choose to heal the man in this way? Like, what's the point? Why the loogie on the fingers? Why the touching of the tongue? Why the fingers in the ears? Like, why the look? Like, why all the stuff, Jesus? Just say it, man. You've got the power. Just do it. Like, why all these moving parts? Now, if we answer this question, I mean, one, question, one way we might answer it is we can say, well, the reason why Jesus is choosing to heal this man in this way is because this is just sort of like what miracle workers do, right? They have to go through all these rituals. They have to go through all these sort of like arm-waving incantations. they got to look up to heaven, and they've got to just sort of do all this sort of like miracle worker mumbo-jumbo. Like this is how they tap into the necessary power so that they can impart healing to somebody. I mean, we could answer the question this way, but we'd be wrong. Remember that in every miracle we've witnessed so far in Mark's gospel, Jesus is not tapping into some sort of ritualistic, miracle-working, mumbo-jumbo, incantation, arm-waving sort of thing, like working up a fervor so that he can harness some power out there somewhere to heal somebody. You don't see it at all in any of the healings leading up to this encounter here at the end of Mark chapter 7. What we see from Mark chapter 1 all the way up to this episode here is that Jesus obviously does not need to perform some ritualistic, miracle-working mumbo-jumbo in order to summon power. He doesn't have to do it. So the question is, well, why does he do it then? I think the answer is that Jesus does all of these things because he's not doing them because he needs it. He's doing these things in front of this man because the man needs it. The man needs to see Jesus doing these things before him. You see, whenever Jesus draws the man to the side puts his fingers in his ears and spits and touches his tongue, what Jesus is doing is he's entering into this man's experience. 
He's entering into this man's world. All the touching of his ears, the touching of his mouth, if you think about it, sign language. The very language that this man has been using his whole life because he's deaf and he's mute. He can't talk. He can't hear. So what has he been doing his whole life, man? He's been using sign language, pointing to things, trying to articulate and speak to people in a way with his hands. And if you think about it through the viewpoint of the man, this is exactly what he needed. He is a deaf man. He is a mute man. And as Jesus rolls into the Decapolis, he sees his buddies start to go bananas, but the man has no clue what's going on. When the Gerasene demoniac showed up in the Decapolis, it's like, King Jesus, power, he heals. What's this guy doing? He's sitting around going, he doesn't know. He can't hear. He can't speak. His buddies are starting to get excited. This guy that the garrison demoniac was talking about, man, he's like, he's in our area. And they're getting excited. They're grabbing their buddy by the arm. They're like, come on, man, let's go. And what's he doing? He's just coming along because he just has no clue what's going on. All he sees is their excited reactions as they grab him by the arm and hurry him along, rushing him before a man that he's never seen before a day in his life. And so as you start to picture the scene in your mind, it's just not hard to imagine maybe, perhaps, the thought of disappointment settling in to this man's mind. Look, all these people are excited. They get it. Good for them. They can hear. They know what's going on. But here I am again at a disadvantage because of my experience. Yet again, my handicap means I'm going to miss out on something. They can hear. They can speak. They're excited. They get it. And here I am, deaf, mute, clueless. I mean, for all he knows, it's not hard to imagine this, maybe he's been the point of mocking. Maybe he's been the point of ridicule because of his handicap because of his deafness, because of his muteness. Growing up as a kid, surely kids can be cruel. They just made fun of this guy for his speech impediment, Mark tells us. And so maybe he just thinks, man, these guys are just rushing me along because here's just another example for me to be the butt of somebody else's joke. And all he knows is that this is just one more excuse for the people to mock and jeer his inability to hear and speak. But the next thing you know, there he is, standing right before the king. But instead of Jesus making a spectacle out of him, he pulls the man aside privately in order to not make a spectacle out of him. And Jesus begins to speak in a language this man could understand. Fafa, be opened. And in an instant, the man's world literally changes at the power of the king. See, Jesus just steps into this man's world. Mark tells us that immediately 
his ears were opened at the command of the king. Immediately, his tongue was released at the command of the king. And the proof in the pudding was that this man was able to speak plainly in complete contradiction to the entirety of his life as a mute man. Now here he is articulating the words of his language plainly. You see, when Jesus came along and placed his fingers into the ears of the man, this was Jesus' way of saying to him, listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to unblock this thing that's been going on with your ears. The way that Jesus came along and spit on his hand and then reached out and touched the tongue of the man meant, listen, I'm going to remove the blockage of your mouth. The way Jesus glanced up to heaven meant you need to know that this isn't some spiritualistic, ritualistic, incantation, arm-waving thing. What you are about to experience is the grace of God coming from God Himself, the God who is Lord and Maker of heaven and earth. I'm looking to Him as a way to show you that what you're about to get is the power of God himself interacting with you in this time and place. It's God alone who's able to do this for you. Jesus, in doing these things, wanted the man to understand that his healing was not the result of some ritualistic, miracle-working mumbo-jumbo. Rather, his healing was the result of the king's power to restore this man and his senses back to the way they were originally created to be. So if you think about it, this is the driving idea behind these verses, is it not? King Jesus has the power to restore what sin has destroyed. And what's so beautiful is that this is not just good news for the man. This is incredibly good news for you and me. You see, when we think about the big categories of life, It's not hard to see how sin distorts and destroys in these big categories of life that we all experience. For this man, the big category of life that sin had distorted and destroyed was his physicality. It was broken by sin. His inability to hear and speak clearly was not the way things are meant to be. And so what happens is Jesus steps into his world, enters into his experience, and says, listen, what your life is right now is not normal, it's actually abnormal. And on the receiving end of my power being exerted towards you, I'm going to restore you back to the way you were meant to be. And he speaks, be open with power, he's restored. And the thing is, What we're meant to see in this man is it's just supposed to be the exact same truths that come and land on us. This man's physicality was destroyed, decaying, on the receiving end of destruction because of sin. And it's just the same for us, isn't it? In our physicality, we experience the result of sin's destroying effects. When you experience sickness in this world, it's the result of sin. 
When you experience suffering and disease, that's the result of sin. When you experience disability, that's the result of sin. When you experience death, death was not part of God's original plan. Death entered into this world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and death entered into this world. Death is not the way things are meant to be. We understand this reality in that big category of life called our physicality, our physical nature. But as we said earlier, sin's an equal opportunity destroyer. It doesn't just stop with the big category of life called our physicality. Sin knows no limits. It corrects it. It corrupts your thought life. Evil thoughts, wicked thoughts that just pop up into your mind. Sin. It twists our sexuality away from God's good plan. Sexual immorality, lust, adultery, that's not part of God's good plan. That's the result of sin. Sin skews our view of possessions, envy, being so envious of someone else that you're willing to go steal something from them, theft, that's sin. It breaks our earthly relationships. Sin does. The reason why we desire at times to deceive other human beings created in the image of God. The reason why we desire to slander other men and women using our words in such a way to bring them down in the eyes of others. The way that we are willing to harbor grudges and hold hate towards other people created in the image of God, sometimes being so willing for our hate to be exerted towards somebody that we're willing to murder. That's the result of sin. Sin warps our identity. That's why we can be prideful and selfish. Sin causes us to abuse food. Sin drives us to allow drink to become our master. Sin makes us believe money is the God we should serve. Sin makes work become our ruler. And as we experience these things from without in the world, or even as Jesus said two weeks ago, these are realities that even come from within because the heart of man is bent by sin. All of us know the devastating distortion of sin's destruction. All of us do. We all know things are not the way they are created to be, which is why there's this deep groaning inside of us that yearns for someone who can come along and not just restore the big categories of life, but restore us back to the way they were created to be. Restore us back into that right relationship with God the Father. And it's this deep groaning, almost like a a soul's sigh, that moaning of, God, man, just do something about this, please, is exactly what Jesus was doing when he raised his hands to heaven. And that deep sigh comes out of him. In that moment, what you have is the king issuing forth a deep sigh, which is ultimately the sigh of the heart of God for his needy creation. It was Jesus' expression of the deep sorrow and anger he felt 
at the ravages of sin that were on display right in front of him. Jesus, who is the creator, looks at this man and he sees the devastating effects of sin and this deep sigh comes out of his soul because he knows, I know this is not the way it was meant to be. It's not meant to be like this. This is the result of sin. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something about it as the king. And he speaks a word of power and he restores this man back to the way he was created to be. And in light of this, it just makes complete sense that the people would zealously proclaim. Do you see that there down in verse 36? They go and they start to zealously proclaim that King Jesus, man, he's the one who does all things well. And it's like, man, if that's like the understatement of the millennium, you know, King Jesus does all things well. Mark says, verse 36, Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were, I love this phrase, astonished beyond measure saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And so what we find is that Jesus, as he often did, commands them, don't go around spreading this thing around because he knows that the people don't quite have a right understanding of who he is as the king, but the people just simply aren't going to listen to him. They're astonished, and they could not stop talking about what they had seen. And in the end, their astonished assessment is that the one standing before them is the one who does all things well. I think it's an echo of Genesis 1.31. Do you remember at the whole, whole end of the Genesis account? God speaks, creates something, it is good. Speaks, creates something, is good. Speaks, creates something, is good. Six times in a row, and at the end of that sixth time, what does he say? It is very good. I think Mark is signaling something to us here. What you have is the Son of God, the Creator Himself, who is doing all things good, restoring His creation back to the way it was meant to be in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now see, what I love here about these verses, what I love about this whole episode, is that in the mind of Mark, this whole encounter, it is meant to stand out as a powerful proof. It's meant to stand out as a powerful proof. See, it's not only proof that King Jesus has the power to restore the big categories of life that have been broken by sin. It also stands out as powerful proof that King Jesus is the one with power to restore humanity's broken relationship with God. As I said earlier this morning, sin destroys We all have categories for this in life. Sin distorts and sin breaks. Sin has infected everything in this world. But the Bible also says very clearly that sin has infected everyone in this world as well. See, this is the universal problem of man. We are not the way we are created to be if we are outside of Jesus Christ Our hearts are stained by sin. And it's our sin-stained hearts that separate us from God. And the truth is that our hearts will remain stained by sin unless someone does something to restore us. 
And so what you need and what I need is a Savior who can enter into our experience, enter into our experience of sin-filled destruction, yet remain unaffected by it. What we need is a Savior who can enter into our world and show that the stain of sin does not affect them, to show that they are not powerless in the face of sin, but show that they are the ones who actually hold sovereign power over sin. And the good news of the gospel is that King Jesus, he's the one. He's the one. And Mark says here in these verses, Jesus is the man. Jesus is the man. He is the one who has done something to restore sinners from the ravages of sin. Jesus is the king who has power to restore you back to what you are created to be. Jesus is the one who has power to restore you into a right relationship with God the Father. This is what Jesus came to do on the cross. This is the power of his resurrection from the grave. Look to Jesus. Jesus is the one with the power to restore you to the Father. He's the one who entered into our experience on our behalf. He's the one who died the death we deserve to die for our sin. He is the one who suffered God's wrath that was rightfully ours. Why? All so that you and I might know the full power of God's saving grace. He's the one with the power. This is what the Apostle Peter was driving at in his first letter when he said this concerning Jesus. It was King Jesus who committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He entered into our experience, was not affected by the stain of sin. When Jesus was reviled, He did not revile in a return, unaffected. When he suffered, he did not threaten, did not give himself over to the temptations of sin. But what did Jesus do when he was reviled and when he suffered? He continued entrusting himself to him, God, who judges justly. He himself King Jesus entered into our experience, bore our sins in His body on the cross, all so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Do you hear what Peter's saying here? These are words of restoration. These are words of restoration. This is the language of restoration. Peter closes out that section by saying, by his wounds you have been healed. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the good news of his power to restore what sin has destroyed. Christ on the cross enters into our experience, takes the wrath you deserve, suffered the death you deserve to die, 
resurrects from the grave saying, I've got power over Satan, power over sin, power over death, and it's by my wounds that you are able now to experience full-blown restoration back to the place that you were designed to be, a human being with a soul that will live forever in right relationship with God the Father. And it's all because of my power to restore and save. And so what you must do this morning is to ask yourself. You've got to wrestle with this question. Have I been restored into a right relationship with God? I'm not asking, have you cleaned your life up? I'm not asking, are you making good decisions now than you were in your life before? I'm not asking, have you started to come to church more recently? I'm not asking if you're reading your Bible more. I'm not asking if you're praying more. I'm not asking if you're hanging out with family who know Jesus more. I'm not asking if you're doing more good things. I'm asking, have you come to Christ in confession telling Him, I need you by your power to restore me and my only hope is you. That's what I'm asking you right now. Because that's your only hope, to stand before Jesus on that day and say, King, I've done these things. I went to church more. I cleaned my life up more. I watched my language more. I read my Bible more. I was praying a little bit more. Jesus is going to say, but did I ever restore you? Did you come to me in trusting faith saying, I look to you, Jesus, as my only hope of being restored? That's my hope right now. If you can't answer in the affirmative there, then on that day, Jesus will say, depart from me. Can you say along with the Bible, my sin-stained heart has been healed, that it's been restored by the wounds of King Jesus? See, if this is something that you have not done, if you cannot say, no, there's never been a point in my life where Jesus has saved me, restored me, where I know beyond a shadow of a doubt in that moment I have come looking to Christ as my only hope of restoration before the Father, allow me to urge you this morning, run, run, run to that King this morning. He alone has the power to restore. Let me close with his words from this old hymn that I just love. That touches on these very things. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. You hear that restoration language there? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood. Do you hear the entering into our experience for our good language? In my place condemned he stood. He sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement? Can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was He to die. It is finished, was His cry. 
now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And when He comes, our glorious King, King Jesus, has the power to restore you. When He comes, our glorious King, all His ransomed, there's that restoration language again, home to bring, then a new His song will sing. Hallelujah. What a Savior. If you do not know the restoring power of King Jesus in your life, in this sense where you have articulated, I need Jesus to save me and restore me, and I beg you this morning, don't delay. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the way that you do the work of salvation in the souls of men and women. Holy Spirit, do your saving work this morning. Open the spiritually deaf ears of those who need to hear this morning. Would you loosen spiritually mute tongues to articulate their need for a Savior this morning? God, would you take those of us who are here this morning and we would just have to admit, maybe in this the, the quietness of our bed at night when we're just laying there and all distractions are stripped away, you know what, there's a lot of Jesus stuff going on in my life, but there is no time in my life when I can articulate, I have by faith, trusting in Jesus, said, Jesus, restore me, please help me. And I'm asking that you would do that work now, Lord God. And for those of us who can say, yes, the Lord, He has healed me, He has restored me, He has saved me, God, cause us to remember the glorious power of our King who has restored, restored our souls back to a right relationship with the Father as we were designed and created to be. God, thank you for the power of your word. May it sink deep into the very soil of our soul. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.